the inside that God is doing, which is a progressive work that takes time. And so, yeah, be patient with me, right? Because God's working on me. And that's the story for all of our lives. Be patient with us because God is at work here. Hey, if this is your first time at Tri-Cities Church, um, welcome to Tri-Cities Church. We're glad that you are our guest this morning. Hey, there's a card in the seat in front of you. We'd love to just know um, that you're here so that we can be able to um, pray for you, thank God for you uh, in, in your journey, and we'd love to connect with you. Um, and have you become a part of Tri-Cities Church. Also on the back of this, uh, on the back of this card has a space where you can write down any kind of prayer request or anything that's going on in your life. Uh, every Monday morning, Jamie and I, uh, get together and we spend time, uh, praying for people that fill out these cards. And, um, and we, we love to hear, um, stories about the way God is working out things that we've been praying about. So uh, anytime you write something on that card and if God has worked it out in a way um, beyond your imagination or if God has just given you the strength to endure, because that's sometimes the way it works, right? If God has given you the strength that you didn't know you had, we'd love to know uh, that, that, that um, it just encourages us as we um, share in that special time of joining you in prayer with whatever's going on in your life. Hey, well, this morning we're continuing uh, our series in James. This is week six in the book of James. So let's pray and then we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we thank you um, that you have been, um, you've been faithful. And God, I thank you that we can sing songs like, um, Lord, you're awesome. And we can sing songs like every praise is to our God. And we can sing songs like, from the inside out. And know that we're not just putting on a show. And knowing that we're not just reading words. That we're not just singing songs for mere enjoyment. But we're singing about truth. Um, that, that we can come to experience in a relationship with you. And so, God, I just pray that more and more every day we will experience your awesomeness, that we will open our mouths and we will declare every praise to you, that we will experience ourselves being transformed from the inside out, that we might say there is a God who loves us and hasn't forgotten about us. God, as we open the scriptures this morning, I pray that you help us to understand them and find points of application in our lives. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Hey, well, this morning we're looking in the book of James, right? Chapter 3 is where we are, which is one of the, um, uh, I guess, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a more popular book in James, but it's one of the more popular uh, uh, chapters in the book of James. And he's just simply talking about the power of our words. Now, throughout history, we've seen words used powerfully to transform lives, to even change nations, reorient people and communities towards God and, and in other ways as well. And one of my favorite speeches and one of the more powerful speeches in the Bible, I think, is in Joshua chapter 24. Now, in Joshua tw- chapter 24, Three, Joshua is speaking to the Israelites, and this is kind of like his retirement speech. I think the Bible puts it as his farewell speech. Joshua is almost a hundred years old. Uh, he stands before the people, and, and he begins to preach to them in, in Joshua chapter 23 and 24. But my favorite section of this is in verse 14 
of chapter 24. Listen to what he says. He says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your, your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But then in verse 15, listen to what he says. Such a powerful speech. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household... We will serve the Lord. Joshua here takes a powerful declaration and a stand before the people in this speech using words powerfully to encourage the people, to challenge the people. And then listen to how they respond in the very next verse, in verse 16. Then the people answered, far be it from us to, uh, from, for, from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. So here we have these idolatrous people who have been serving other gods, had a history of serving other gods. Joshua stands before them and powerfully uses words to transform these people. And they say, far be it from us, right? To turn and serve other gods. We're serving the one and only living God. There's been some powerful speeches throughout history, and that's one of them. When I was thinking about powerful speeches this week, I couldn't help but think about the one from Franklin Delano Roosevelt, right? FDR, uh, his inaugural speech. Just listen to the way he powerfully uses these, these words. I think we have a, uh, a recording of it. Oh, here we go. FDR was encouraging a nation in one of the more difficult depressions or the most difficult depression in our history, in our nation's history. And he used these words powerfully to encourage the American people to, to, to pick themselves up, to continue going on, to persevere through difficult times. When I think about powerful speeches and the way that words can be used, there's another speech that I just can't neglect this morning. I just want us to listen to it for just a moment. It's Martin Luther King and his I Have a Dream speech. Just listen to what he says in this speech and the way he powerfully uses words to encourage a nation.
throughout history, we've seen these words used powerfully over and over again. The human language used powerfully to encourage people, to give them the strength to persevere, to change nations, to bring about even godlike change in societies and in cultures. Words are, are powerful. And that's what James is wanting to get at this morning in chapter 3. At the very beginning of the scriptures, we see that God uses words constructively, powerfully, constructively to bring about change. If you look in Genesis chapter 1, listen to what it says at the very beginning of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, right, the first words ever recorded in human history. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. We see in Genesis that God used human language powerfully and constructively to bring order out of chaos. It says the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. Everything was nothingness and formless. And God brought order. What we see before us, God brought order out of chaos. And He chose to do that with language, through words. He brought about structure and organization. And listen to what it says. It says, it was good. You see, language is a powerful tool to be used by us constructively. God modeled that in the creation of the world. In Proverbs chapter um, 18, I think on the slide it may say 8, but Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, that's a correction that I didn't make, but thought about it in proverbs chapter 18 verse 21 it says the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit the tongue has power of life and death from the very beginning of the scriptures and on throughout the scriptures the bible is teaching us that our words are powerful throughout the beginning of history and all throughout history what we've seen is that human words are powerful And James is going to challenge us with that very thing in chapter 3. That your words are powerful. Use them carefully. Use them constructively. Now when we get into the verse, this third chapter 3 of James in these first couple of verses, James begins with this warning that I take very seriously. Listen to what he says. Um, And when I read this, this this week I was just like... I guess, right? Um, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly, right? And I was thinking to myself all week, I got to stand up here and do what? I'm teaching from the Word of God. And the Bible says that those who teach are going to be judged more strictly. I think God knows that we are using our mouths all the time. And what James is going to say is that when you use your mouth a lot, you run into a lot of potential for saying the wrong thing. But what God is teaching, he's not saying, uh, what James is teaching is what he's not warning us is don't aspire to become a teacher. He's not saying that, right? He's saying that know that if you are um, uh, teaching, that you need to be working really hard at practicing what you preach, living out the things that you teach, not doing one thing and saying another. I like the very next verse in James, though, because I think it, um, um, it, it 
uh, almost said gets me off the hook. It doesn't get me off the hook, um, but it explains this a little bit further, right? It says, we all stumble in many ways. My wife would probably amen that. Uh, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So what this verse is saying, is, and James is teaching us from the very beginning, is that if you aspire to be a teacher, right, to use words to explain the scriptures or use your words for anything else, you're going to be judged more strictly because you're using your words to teach people how to live and you're not living with integrity, right? If your words say something and you do something different. But at the same time, what James wants us to see and wants the church to see, and I think this is a very important lesson that he wants the church to see, is that those who stand before you and teach, right, aren't teaching because they've arrived at a point of perfection. I know that's surprising to you, right? <gasps> right? I've not arrived at a point of perfection. I know it's not um, surprising. Um, but what he wants us to see is that, um, that those who stand before you and teach ought to practice what they preach, but they haven't yet arrived at a point of perfection. But at the same time, I think what he wants the church to get is that don't let your faith hinge on the personal uh, piety or individual holiness of any one human being, whether that be your parent, uh, whether that be a teacher that you've had, whether that's a mentor or a coach that you've had in your life, whether that's your preacher. Don't allow your hope or your faith to hinge on the personal piety or the holiness perceived, falsely perceived holiness of any one person. I say all the time um, uh, here and in other places that I never want Tri-Cities Church to be a church that It says, my pastor says, my pastor taught, my pastor believes. What I stand here before you to do is to help you um, not to deliver the word of God to you, but to help you understand the word of God that's already been delivered to you. And so uh, what my hope for Tri-Cities Church is, is that when you're out and you're in conversation with people and God comes up, that you'll say, um, God says, or the scripture says, the Bible says, I know it because I read it, not because my pastor says, but because I read it. And hopefully we become Tri-Cities Church, that is, becomes a helpful guide for you to dive into the scriptures and begin to understand them. So James is saying, hey, don't look at the one who teach you and think that he's perfect, although I'm going to judge him more strictly. Don't look at him and think he's perfect because we all stumble in many ways. So James is getting at our tongue and what we say, the words that we speak, because he's fully aware that our language is powerful that our words have power to change. And so what he does here in this scripture is that he juxtaposes two things like he's been doing this whole book. He holds up blessings and curses. Like speaking blessings and speaking curses or cursing um, to teach us the wisdom of living our life with integrity. He's doing this to teach us the wisdom of living our lives with integrity. Now, integrity is when my life in every single situation communicates the same message, right? When my life in every situation or circumstance communicates the same 
message. That means there's one message when I'm here at church and I'm standing before you and I'm preaching the scriptures. Or there's one message when we're here at church and we're singing these songs and we're talking about the goodness of God. There's one message here. But what the scriptures is saying is that your life should communicate that same message on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and the rest of the days of the week. If we're ever going to live with integrity, our lives have to communicate the same message in every circumstance, in every situation. Our lives are always, right, communicating a message. It's both in the words that we say and in the, th- the way we live our lives, the actions that we give ourselves to. And James, in this verse in particular, is wanting us to see how important it is that the words that we speak line up in every single situation, that we live with uh, linguistic integrity, if you will, verbal integrity, that our words were not um, um, uh, speaking praises in one situation to God, but cursing in the next. Look at what he says, and I'm going to jump down towards the end of this section in chapter 3, in verse 9. It says, With the tongue we praise our Lord, and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. John, or James wants us to see that that just doesn't make sense, right? On the one hand, we're praising God. We're singing songs like every praise is to our God. But at the same time, we're cursing God's creation, right? If God is good, then his creation is good as well. Whether or not they're being good to us, it's still part of God's creation. And John James wants us to see that it's just illogical for us to do that. But it's not just illogical that he's getting at. He's not just getting at the fact that it doesn't make sense. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear frigs? Figs, neither can salt spring, uh, a, can, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. What James is trying to get us to see is that it's not um, both and, but it's either or. It's either we're speaking praises to God or we're cursing our brother and sister that both cannot exist in a life that's lived with integrity. And so James is challenging us to be careful of the words that we speak every single day because there's a very powerful truth that he wants us to get. And that's that the words we speak will determine the course of our lives. That our words are in the driver's seat of our lives. That whether we go left or right, what our life looks like, the way our life will turn out is is ultimately a matter of the words we speak. James wants us to see the power of our words over our lives. And it's easy for us today to just write words off because they're so common and so easily used. We write them off as, oh, that's just a phrase or that's just a word or that was just a joke. But James wants us to see that our words that we speak will ultimately have power in our lives. Look at James chapter 3. Verse, uh, verse three. He says, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, uh, we, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Something so small, but is able to steer the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder. Wherever the pilot wants them to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what great forest is set on fire 
by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Right? James is using powerful and strong language here to help us see that the way we use our words will determine the course of our lives. And so if we use hateful words, right, even in our moment of anger, that if we're using hateful words, we're producing soil in our hearts that makes it easy for the roots of hatred to grow deeper in our lives and to plant themselves there. And ultimately, that comes out through our actions, right? If we sow um, uh, or, or speak uh, perverse words, we're killing the soil in our hearts for those perverse words and actions to sow themselves in our lives, to grow deeper roots and have a hold in our life. What James wants us to see is that when we say stuff, we're not just saying it, right? It's just not that it's out there and it's done with and it was nothing but mere words. James wants us to see the power that these words have in our lives. Now, what I don't think James is talking about here, well, what I know James isn't talking about here, he's not saying, um, he's not telling us to be false or phony and not and not be truthful about how things are going in our lives. So if, if, um, if things in my life aren't going well right now, it, it is okay to say that I'm going through a hard time. This is terrible. This is difficult. It's a hard time. We are not speaking that into existence. He's not telling us to put on a fake face and just speak some positiveness into existence in our life. Rather, he's saying that the words that we speak against other people, the words that we speak that are sinful, right, that those are giving space for that sin to grow deeper roots in our lives. And so he's warning us. And the Bible's constantly warning us. And it's saying, a thought is not just a thought. It's the beginning. A word is not just the word. A word. It's the beginning. That this will come out in your actions. If you allow those words to linger, if you allow those thoughts to linger, it will come out in your actions. Remember what Jesus teaches us. If we go back to Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus was teaching in the um, Sermon on the Mount, there's these powerful scriptures where he says, um, you've heard it said, and this isn't on the slides, I don't believe, you've heard it said, heard, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is kind of like saying idiot, right, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And it's not saying that you say to your brother or sister, you idiot or you fool, that you are going to hell. But it's saying you allowed um, this soil of your heart to be tilled in such a way that that anger will plant itself and lead to destructive actions. And so when we begin speaking things, what the Bible wants us to see is that when we speak things, they begin to plant themselves in our lives. Jesus goes on. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone that looks at a woman lustfully, right? These thoughts that are in our, in our, in our head has already committed adultery with him, 
with her in his heart, right? And he goes on and on and on, and he teaches us what we allow ourselves to think and what we allow ourselves to say is ultimately leading our lives, is determining the course of our life. And James wants us to see that our words have power over our life, that they're in the driver's seat, and that they are steering us where we will go. You see, if we're listening to James, what we begin to say is something a little bit different. We begin to declare who we are in God. We begin to say, um, <laughs> like in the example of adultery, um, uh, and when he talks about lust, um, <laughs> I should not have gone down this, this road. <clears throat> what we find ourselves saying is not, I wish I could have that, but I can't have that because I'm a child of God, right? In the example of anger, we, we find ourselves saying, um, I wish I could punch him or punch her or, or do something vengeful to him or do something vengeful to her, but saying, I, I am a child of God and that's not fitting for my life, coming face to face with the reality of those feelings that are within us, not denying them, but also at the same times with our mouth, declaring who we are in Jesus Christ. Because what the Bible says is that even before we've been, um, even before our actions have fully changed in Jesus Christ, while God's still working on us, while we're still saying, be patient with me, I'm a work in progress, that we're at the very same time covered by God's righteousness. That now is our reality, and we need to begin speaking that every single day, that I'm God's child. That's not fitting for me. I will not act in that way. That we begin using our words in that way to direct our lives. Yes, I'm angry right now, but there was the scriptures say, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. I'm going to let God handle this situation. Yes, I'm frustrated with them right now, but God is in control. And because I know that, I'm going to let God handle this situation. Yes, she looks good, but God has placed me with a spouse, my wife. And, and God has not called me to walk and live in that way of life. And God has called me to a different way. And he's in control and provided for me all that I need. And so what James is showing us is that in the Christian life, we come face to face with these thoughts, these feelings, these emotions, but we don't speak them, right? Because we're allowing these uh, sinful thoughts to plant root in our lives when we do that. And ultimately, we're placing them in the driver's seat, letting them steer. He's saying, don't do that, right? Begin speaking who you are in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, I'm righteous. In Jesus Christ, I'm forgiven. In Jesus Christ, I am a new creation. In Jesus Christ, I don't have to give in to the things I gave into in the past. In Jesus Christ, my chains are broken. In Jesus Christ, I'm being changed from the inside out. In Jesus Christ, there's a new me walking right here in this earth. And James is challenging us to begin speaking those things. Now, we can't forget what James began teaching us in chapter 1, that all this is a part of the sanctification that God wants to do in our lives. Ultimately, changing our words is about submitting to God's sanctifying power. 
right? And sanctification simply means this progressive change that God wants to do in our lives. And it's not about, um, it's, and this is, this is, this is uh, a key, right? It's not about God uh, changing us, right? Like God swooping in and changing us, but it's about God working with us to change, right? God wants to come alongside us and help us to change and to live differently and to walk in this newness we have in Jesus Christ. Remember what it said in James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But notice the words he uses, this progressiveness of the Christian life. Uh, when you face trials of any kind, know that that's producing something in you. It's producing perseverance. And let perseverance finish his work, that you might be mature, right? And so there's this work that's happening in our lives that James is teaching us. That's the sanctifying work of God that God wants to do with us to bring about a newness in our lives. So James isn't speaking to us with this condemning voice. And saying, I can't believe you said that. He's not saying, I can't believe you thought that. You should be guilty, too guilty to come to church, too guilty to claim yourself to be a Christian, too guilty to think you're beyond the reach of God. What James is saying is we all, remember, we all stumble in many ways. You're simply human. But God wants to do something to take you beyond the faults and failures of your human nature. And he wants to work with you to bring about newness in your life. You see, what this means for us practically every day is this realization that in every situation and in every moment, if we're going to live with integrity, we got to recognize that God is right there with us. Not that he's with us, and you know, that, that question that people say, would you say that if God was there with you? Or would you do that if God was there watching? I, I'm not saying that way, right? I'm not saying that God's there watching or listening, you know, as a parent with a finger wagging. What I'm saying is help is always with you. That God's strength is always with you. That God has chosen through Jesus Christ not to condemn us, but to come alongside us so that we together with the saints of old might be made holy. That we together might begin this progressive journey that God might begin changing our lives. That he's already proved his uh, love for us and his decision not to condemn us. Look at John chapter 3 verse 16. I know this one's not on the screen unlike the last one that I said wasn't on the screen. John 3, uh, um, um, verse uh, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, right? So why are we living as though God is standing there condemning us? Why are we filled with guilt as though God is looking down upon us saying, I can't believe you did that? I can't believe you said that. For God sent his son into the world, but he did not send him in the world to condemn us, but to save the world through him. Right? To save the world. And that's not to pluck us out of it. That's not to help us to sit around and wait for a day of salvation when we'll make it to heaven. 
That's about this powerful, transformative work that God wants to begin in our lives right now. That's about God becoming flesh and wanting to be alongside us. That's about the help is here in every situation. And when we believe that with our whole heart, we find ourselves, one, being more cautious of the words we speak, but two, saying, God, help me a lot more often. God, in this situation, you know how my flesh wants to respond. You know how my human nature wants to react. But God, I believe you are with me. So God, help me. And as we do that more and more, we find that his words are true, that God is with us and he will help us. So James is saying to us, listen, in verse 7, he says, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. James is saying to us, hey, if you're trying to get your words under control and you're doing it by your strength alone, you're wasting your time, right? Um, you, you, are, you are giving your strength to something that is impossible, that no human being can tame their tongue. Uh, it says, uh, um, uh, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. That in and of ourselves, we'll find ourselves saying things that are not helpful, but ultimately are harmful. So what are we to do? I think James would like us to see um, that one of the first things we can do is be more aware of the words that we speak practice slowing down and being more aware of the words we speak. The average human speaks over 16,000 words a day, right? Words are constantly flowing. I found one study that said that women speak twice as many words as men. I was tempted to believe that, but then I found another study that said that's just not true. Men talk just as much as women. But the reality is the average human speaks over 16,000 words a day. Words are constantly flowing. When something becomes more common, we become less conscious of it. And so we become less conscious of the things that we're saying and the effect that they're having. And what James wants us to see is that those words have extraordinary power over your life and in our words, in our world. And once those words are out, you can't take them back. So be more aware of what you are saying. Practice awareness. Slow down recognize your personality some of us speak before we think some of us think too much before we speak and never end up saying anything but recognize your personality and slow down and think before you speak more more aware of what you say this also means that we must learn the skill of listening that we must listen not just to what we're saying but we also have to listen to what others are saying about what we're saying i will say something um, in my life, right? I will say something to someone and I think I'm communicating one thing and in reality, in their ears, I'm communicating something totally different. So James is teaching us, don't walk around with this egotistical attitude. Well, I said what I meant and I meant what I said. If it's not being heard the way you intended it to be heard, you got to slow down, listen to the way other people are hearing what you are saying because your words have power. So James is saying, be more aware. And the only way that's going to happen is if you learn to listen. If you listen for what you're saying. Begin asking yourselves these questions, right? 
how does what I just said sound? Right? How does what I just said sound? How does what I just said sound to the person who is listening? How is the person who is listening receiving what I just said? And if they're not receiving it well, how can I say it better, more clearly, more effective? Now, I know I fall into this temptation all the time, and my wife will tell you, I'm say, I always say, she says, what, 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 it's that, you, um, we, we were in counseling once, and, um, <laughs> and, and what they told us to do was to do this. So what I hear you saying is, right, you, you ever... Uh, here's my set. So the person repeat back to you when you're in a discussion or an argument, right? You repeat back to the person. So what I hear you saying is, uh, and you re, re, restate it so the person can say, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. You got what I'm saying. And then the other person speaks, and then they say, well, what I hear you saying is, well, we did that, and, and what I would always respond to my wife was, what you hear me saying is what I'm saying, right? I'm saying what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't need you to restate it back to me in a different way. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying, I, I just didn't cope well with that. Um, <laughs> but there is a lesson from James to be learned, right? Is be careful of how you are being heard. And if you're not being heard clearly, find a way to state it more effectively and more clearly so that you are heard. Because your words have power. And so we've got to be aware of what we're saying. We have to learn to listen so that we can become more aware. But the third, I think the final thing that the Scriptures teach from beginning to end is that when we find that we are at fault, we must repent. Whenever we find that we're at fault, we must repent. So when I've spoken something that offends, that hurts, and I'm at fault, I must repent and say, I'm sorry for those words that I said. It was in a moment of anger, and I'm, I said something that wasn't true. Or I said something that was true, um, but in the wrong way. I didn't mean to offend. You see, the Scriptures are tell, teaching us from beginning to end that what's right for us is to admit our wrongdoing, to admit it before God to change and do differently, but also to admit it before one another to change and do differently. The work of God through Jesus Christ is ultimately a work of reconciliation. Restoring relationships, both our relationship with God in our relationship with one another. And unless we're willing, as James teaches at the very beginning, remember what we said at the very beginning of this series, that the door to wisdom is open for us when we humble ourselves. And the same thing applies here, that the door to wisdom is open for us when we humble ourselves and we're willing to admit our fault, to admit wrongdoing, to ask for forgiveness, and to do different. You see, James is teaching us that we must be aware, we must listen, and when we hear ourselves in a way that we shouldn't be heard, we must repent and turn to the way of the, of the Lord because our words have power 
first over our own lives, but they also have destructive power if used incorrectly in our society. For they have constructive power to change nations. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you've given us these powerful examples throughout history of people who have used their words powerfully. God, I thank you that you first spoke at the beginning of creation. That you set a paradigm, a precedent for how words are to be used by human beings. That you didn't just hand us language and say, figure it out. but that you created humans with the ability to communicate, to use language, to express themselves. And you lifted yourself up as the example of how language is powerfully used to be constructive, to bring about order out of chaos, to bring about good out of darkness. And God, I pray that you help us to be more aware of the words that we are speaking more conscious of what we are saying and how we are being heard. And God, give us the humility and the boldness to repent where necessary and do differently. God, we believe that this is possible through the power given us through Jesus Christ himself. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. And this morning, we're going to sing this song as a response to the Scriptures. Um, Because I believe firmly that this is an area that we write God out of our lives. And we just say, hey, I have no control over these words. They just kind of flow incessantly. Or that's just the area where I've struggled. I've always struggled. I always am going to struggle. And what the Scriptures want us to see is that because Jesus overcame death and the grave and is alive to tell the story that he's able to give us power for any and every challenge in our lives so yes it's difficult it's impossible to tame your tongue but through the power of god himself we've overcome and we can allow the sanctifying power of god to have its work in our lives and we can be different tomorrow than we are today.